Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the show brought to you by not Jason Bourne, but whoever Jeremy Renner was in that other movie. Jackson Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> the flagship podcast, TheVerge.com. I don't, I don't know why we started with The Bourne Supremacy, but here we are. Anyhow, it's Has a it, huge How week. come they haven't made a... They, they should make one where he, like, converts, and they can call it Jason Bourne again. I don't know if we're ready for, like, an evangelical Christian action movie. Do they have any of those, Paul? <laughs> there uh, must be. Left, uh, left Behind I mean, there's Left Behind, movie. yeah. Like the Kirk Cameron Left Behind? Yeah, yeah. Is it, but it's not, like, really an action movie. All right. Mm. I mean, I, I can't say I, like, really studiously watched Left Behind films. Anyhow, my point here today is not whether or not we're ascending to a higher moral plane. Right. It's that Paul is here. Yeah. Dieter's here. Hello. I'm here. I'm Neelan. <laughs> I'm your friend, your pal. And we have a whole bunch of news to talk about. We got a packed show here. We got new phones and all kinds mm-hmm. of phone news. Google named it Oreo, which was not a surprise to literally anyone, regardless of Google's best efforts. Uh, we got a segment with Lauren Grush coming up talking about spacecraft. Packed show. Kind of a classic vibe because it's like phone season again. Here's the sad part, though. Yeah. I can't read the show notes. Yeah. Because I'm blind from looking at the sound. <laughs> <laughs> It happened. Yeah, the eclipse happened. Worth it. Paul and I watched it together. Mm-hmm. And he, Aww. I will tell you confidently, he kind of looked at the sun a little bit. <laughs> a few times. I had the glasses. I kept offering them. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. look. I wanted to, see, I wanted to see it for real. Uh, you know, we're about tech and culture. The sun, I believe, the oldest technology in the universe. That's hmm. a fact. <laughs> uh, Here's sure. The Everyone wants to kind of look at the sun. I, we were out. We, we went out. We were standing on uh, on the Veterans Memorial here in Financial District, like a big stair-steppy, grassy thing. Lots of people had glasses. All the suits were out in Fide-Eye. Everyone just kind of kept on furtively glancing at the sun. Yeah. I've, never, I've never seen anything well, like Well, no. The, the, I mean, the key thing and the failure of the user interface of the glasses is that it's apparently a human instinct. You can look at anything when you're putting glasses on, but when you take glasses off, you look exactly at the thing. <laughs> Because think about it, like, you know, like, oh, I just realized I'm looking through sunglasses. Let yeah. me pull those down. Yeah. And so every time someone would take off the glasses, <laughs> like, ah! All right. Speaking of large, powerful, bright objects. Mm-hmm. Dieter. Wow. I just went for it, man. I just went for it. The Note 8 came out this yeah. week. Yesterday, actually, uh, in terms of when we were recording. Dieter, you did the hands-on. You've played with it. Tell us everything. I have. Uh, it is a big, giant note. <laughs> I mean, the Note 7 before it uh, started causing explosions, maybe even the Note 5 before, like people started freaking out because, oh my God, is it a Note if it doesn't have a removable battery? Um, is it too much like the, the Galaxy S line? And yeah, the Note 8 feels like a slightly flatter, slightly bigger uh, Galaxy S8 Plus. Uh, but, you know, it's good. It's fine. It uh, it has a couple new stylus tricks that I like. What are the stylus tricks? So okay, the first stylus trick uh, is one that's obvious and should have been there on the Note Seven, which is when you pull the stylus out to take notes on the lock screen. You pull when you pull the stylus out with the phone locked, it just gives you a black screen. You can take notes. They added a new page button, so you can take up to a hundred pages of notes. Oh my god! I didn't even know just, know the Note did that. That seems actually convenient. Yeah. Yeah, no, they got really good at the style stuff. stuff. Try to think down. You yeah. just start writing on the screen. Um, yeah, the other style. I mean, there's a couple. Like you could like highlight text with it and like translate. That doesn't really feel like a stylus feature to me. It's just a feature, but whatever. Um, the cool thing is that you can 
draw a message, right? Like draw a smiley face and a heart. And then when you save it, it saves the GIF recording of you drawing the smiley face in the heart. And then you can send that playback to somebody. Uh, I like it because it's like it's not proprietary. You just you draw this thing and then you stick it in the messaging app you actually use or you stick it on yeah. Twitter or whatever. It's not iMessage. Everybody doodles. can see it. Right. So that's that. Uh, the, I guess the bigger innovation, the bigger change is they also went dual camera. Um, they managed to not have a big camera bump doing it. And there's like two different ways to dual cameras now. Well, actually three. So there's what Essential and I think Huawei have done, which is one's black and white and one is color. There's what Apple does and what Samsung has done, which is like one is normal and one is telephoto. Uh, and then there's one that LG has done where one is like super wide and one is normal. Um, so Samsung's big thing is they're like, look, we put optical image stabilization on both lenses. And so then it'll be less shaky. Plus, you can adjust the blur in the camera app, not just in post-production. Um, so you put those two things together, that's ostensibly better. Uh, but I don't know. I, uh, we need to test it and review it. Um, apparently, so you have to turn on live focus. That's what it's called. Uh, and then if you leave the camera app and come back, it's still there. It's still on by default. But if the camera app closes or you restart the phone, then you have to toggle it back on again, um, which I don't like. Uh, yeah. I feel like if it's not the default, then what's the point? It's like kind of a, a chicken move to like make it like a weird mode for the camera. Is that because it takes more battery or something? Well, it takes more battery, but also Live Photo, I think has an I think it's in Live Photo has an option where it'll it will save both the uh, wide angle and the telephoto. So it actually saves like three images, the Whoa. combined image that you can adjust the, the blur on, the telephoto image and the wide angle image. So if you leave it on, you know, your image goes from, you know, I don't know, a meg or two to like 15 megs because it's just saving just a ton of data. Wow. Uh, so that's probably why it's not like the default because I think the U.S. version ships with 64 gigs of storage. It's expandable, but like you could start eating that up pretty quickly. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, do you like big phones? The Note is like the quintessential, the OG big phone. Is and it bigger than the, it's fine. the it's iPhone, good. the plus size iPhones? It's uh, I didn't have a plus size iPhone there to hold it up next to. I'd have to do the online tool to measure it. It doesn't feel bigger than the plus size iPhones. Yeah, that's what Dan said to me too. The problem, I can't use the plus size iPhones anymore. I could barely use the Pixel XL anymore. Uh, after having used the Galaxy S8 and the Essential phone, any phones that like have those big giant bezels on the top and the bottom just feel stupid. Just <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb. Yeah. Dopey stupid. Uh, and so it feels smaller. It might not technically be smaller, but the screen is huge. Uh, Samsung was very careful to tell us that the curve on the left and the right was less pronounced than it is on the S8 because then you have more space to write with the stylus. Yeah. It's almost like curving okay. the edges of the screen is not great. Nobody <laughs> they yeah. keep producing those curves. <laughs> like the first the remember it was like the S6 edge was like super curved and they're like it's a sideways screen with features. And now they're just like, we curved it even less this time. Yeah. <laughs> they did a new multitasking thing, which is maybe interesting. I don't know, do you guys ever use split screen on your phones ever? I want to. That's my answer. Yeah. Everybody wants to. Nobody does. Yeah. Uh, I've done it a couple of times. So what Samsung has done is you can, when you have two apps open, 
you can save that dual app combo like in your launcher or in the like swipe in quick launch thing. Mm -hmm. And you can either just launch Chrome or launch, you know, Messenger or whatever, or you can like hit the dual app icons and it'll launch them together all the time or like whenever you hit that that combo. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, I guess as the screen's bigger and bigger, you got to figure out ways to layer those windows. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things that I want to do and then never actually do. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, maybe I'll get a note. Maybe I get a note. I'll start yeah, doing like two apps that, at a time. That, that Bixby button. Because use the Bixby Bixby's going to support Spotify. How how one hand usable is this phone? Like I I I don't like big phones at all, and I don't. I yeah. I basically have no fine motor controls in my hand, <laughs> so I can't use a stylus. So the note, it's just. I'm just kind of like a clumsy person. <laughs> the note is useless to me. But I'm don't, still curious. Don't think the note's for you then, friend. <laughs> just just got to put that out there. It's not really a one-handed phone. It, uh, it's not for you. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I, uh, it's I, got six gigs of RAM. I don't know. Sorry, that's a RAM. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's whole. Throw out there. Well, hey, we're all about specs. Yeah. <laughs> just playing, playing Paul's drum. A video didn't get made from last week. No, I'm working on yeah, it. Yeah, where's that video? Where's I'm the spec down? It's in the works. I will tell the listener right. that I definitely ruined a meeting this week as Paul was talking <laughs> about this video by opening GarageBand and just playing keyboard drums through the middle of the meeting. I don't know why anybody invites <laughs> me to meetings in this organization. That's right. Uh, still like you, Neil. I'm doing everything I can to not go. And when I go, I'm disruptive. You should just not invite me. It's great. Uh, mm -hmm. And yet. Interesting. Yeah, that's my, that's my plan. It's my secret plan <laughs> to not be a good boss. I think the note is like, it's like you saying you want to multitask with it. Like that's kind of the thing. Like I think most people don't actually. They'll be just if they want a big phone, they'll be just fine with something like uh, an SA Plus or an Essential Phone or a Pixel XL or an iPhone uh, Plus. Um, but there's something about the note that's like I am the most powerful thing you can yeah. get. Bam! I've got all the RAM. I've got blah 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 blah. That is compelling. Is um, it, it still has a removable storage I slot. I mean, that's like the main thing that I yeah. think about oh, yeah. when I think of the note. Yep. I mean, it's it's supposed and to be it's the spec waterproof, monster. and so is the stylus. That's Whatever. great. I love that. <laughs> yeah, just right what, in the pool. So I, I remember, like, remember when seventeen-inch laptops were kind of a new thing, and it was like yeah. this hyper premium concept, and then. Companies realized that four hundred dollar seventeen inch laptops yeah. were really where it's where it's at. Like, where's the the four hundred dollar note? They made that. Oh, they it was exist. called like the Galaxy yeah. Mega. Remember that thing? Yeah. They like Samsung made. There's a whole bunch of them in China. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. If, I don't. I could not tell you the vast scope of Samsung's product line, but they have a bunch of like mid low end phones with huge screens. No, but with a stylus, because I think one of the important things oh. is. Um, Older people yeah. who do not like typing on the virtual keyboards would be more comfortable typing with a stylus or writing their notes. Yeah, hmm. it's a theory. It's a theory. Hmm. Again, not my demographic. I think not those people are better served by the voice typing feature. That is also a thing that I see with the old people. Yeah, the old people. <laughs> We're gonna be those people someday, screaming at our phones. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm that person right now. I'm gonna tell you guys. <laughs> it's true. I get a lot of texts from Dieter that are very obviously dictated. We haven't talked about uh, the most important thing. Which is that it costs a shed load of money. I'm going to – no, no. That's, that's the second most important thing. Um, I'm going to build a hill okay. for Neil I to die on, and it's going to have a headphone jack in it. You know, I said last week I don't want to be the, the face of this movement, and then I got a lot of tweets <laughs> that are like, sorry, 
You have dug your own grave. <laughs> Samsung, and somebody tweeted me, um, Samsung made a big deal that it still has a headphone jack, which, yep. by the way, it can because it's huge. It's like all of Apple's right. arguments about saving space, whatnot. Uh, that's Essentials' argument, too. We saw Andy Rubin at Code. He's like, we got to make the phone yep. smaller. This is the thing we get rid of to make the phone smaller. Well, if you make the world's biggest phone, you have some extra space, so they have it in there. Right. But Samsung made a big deal out of it, and I know I understand completely why they would, because if you have a thing that people still want and they're obviously annoyed by it, your phone has a differentiating feature and you have it, and every Android phone is losing it, so now you've got the one Android phone that has this thing. That has it. And you're the one in the store, and you're like, you can get this other phone that you probably haven't heard of, LG, what's that? Or you can get this tried and true Samsung that everyone's heard of, and it's got this port you want. Of course, like they're just going to have it forever, until until something in the Android ecosystem threatens Samsung. They they have no reason not to just keep playing the game they're playing, because their hardware is really nice, and they figure out how to make the phone small and have no like bezels with the headphone jack and waterproof. Yeah, you might even say they out-engineered Apple in terms of packaging. It's just an you idea might say that. that. They have. But yes, I look, I don't love the headphone jack. Like I used AirPods yesterday. It was great. Mm. Wonderful experience. I'm but just it's, saying it's a poor, I I'm look I was looking into um the Apple dongle mm-hmm. which I hadn't been able to buy on Amazon but now it seems to be available on Amazon. But I looked to see how much it would be on apple.com. Yeah. It's hard to find there. The Apple official dongle has 1.5 stars out of five on Apple's official store. What? It's like a forum for people editorializing why it's a bad idea and also talking about how the volume level that they get from the dongle they don't think is equivalent to the actual uh, traditional phone's headphone jack. Wow. Huh. Sounds like I assigned you another story just now. Well, I, I, already, I, already, I already wrote it. Did you? I just didn't put it up yet. Oh, I see. <laughs> no, a dog ate it. That's wild. I mean, look, it's whatever. I'm just saying they created a problem. They sell $129 solution to that problem. It is excellent business. Samsung should be paying Apple to keep not having a headphone jack. (laughs) I mean, I don't think I don't think anyone in the universe is going to switch from iOS to Android over a headphone jack. Like whatever. It's a good ecosystem. You're locked into it. They sell a bunch of great products. But I just, it's annoying, and I, I think we should just. Be aware of the fact that it's annoying. That's it. That's my hill. My hill is entitled, yeah. please just be aware that this is annoying and stop lying to everyone. Would you say it's uh, <laughs> consumer it's hostile? It's not a well-titled hill. Like, it's, it's, it's one of those weird Welsh hills with like endless long names. <laughs> endless what? Does anyone have a hill in Wales they can say? You know, like Welsh names are like really long. You know what I'm talking about? Welsh names or Welsh hills? Well... Both. Names. The, the hills names that are is the big Venn diagram of things. What do names have to do with hills? I seriously have no idea. Because my hill is called. Oh, because the let's name. Let's just admit of it's the annoying hill. and the stop lying to everyone, which is a very long name. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in Wales, they would accept the length of that name. But you're not talking about the geography or the type of hills that. No, frequently I'm talking occur. about Welsh naming conventions. Because I'm just trying to visualize the hill. <laughs> I'm thinking of like a Teletubby. It's like. <laughs> Green. Imagine a hill with a giant headphone jack in it, and Neli is dead, lying on top of it. It's like it's a really long. It's like one of you know those hills and mini golf courses where they're like total assholes, and they put the hole right at the top of like a perfect yeah convex yeah. 
Yeah, you know what I'm uh, talking about. I know what you're talking about. By the like, way, you can just start. You can just right, start the, typing the word "long Welsh" and you just get lists of long Welsh names. Anyway, nine hundred ish dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Letters nine thirty, nine sixty, nine twenty, fourteen forty seven a month for a thousand months. Like too many pricings, but you can just buy the damn thing unlocked straight from Samsung, which is awesome. So yeah. you don't get a bunch of carrier crap. But. Uh, I saw way more feelings about the price than I expected. It's expensive. It's a thousand dollars. Yeah, but you know what? You know what you can get for five hundred bucks? A laptop. You yeah. know what you can get for two thousand bucks? A laptop. You can choose whether you want to spend the money for the more expensive laptop yeah. or not. Especially so the if, big question is: It's almost yeah, certainly a primary computing device, right? I mean, yeah. Is there enough differentiation between a five hundred dollar phone and a thousand dollar phone? I'm, That's the whole question. It's I've been like, think- I don't get mad that it exists. I'm just. Like you have to investigate whether the speed, the multitasking, the cameras, you know, the waterproofing, the blah 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 blah, that adds up to that much value to you. I've been thinking a lot about this, and and I I haven't figured out how to say it yet. But there's something. It, it does seem like an unrealistic situation that forever that there's going to be this maximum price of like seven ninety nine, and no phone will ever be more than seven ninety nine. I'm, you know, I'm thinking of the iPhone being 9.99 and how I feel about that. I don't feel great about it because there's something really cool about the fact that anybody who is willing to sacrifice enough to get to that point where they put maybe $200 on the table and then they got the rest of the phone by paying it with mm-hmm. the monthly contract or whatever, there was this like this one bar, and if you hopped over that bar, you had the greatest phone on the planet yeah. outside of your storage size. Yeah. And now, now you'll have have haves and have nots, just like everything in the world. Yeah. So it makes sense that there will be a thousand dollar phone. I would love to see what a two thousand dollar phone would look like. That not not just like a fashion brand that Lamborghini like, phone. That yeah, actually really not, not not that not crocodile skin, <laughs> but just you know what would the ultimate phone look like? Um, and that maybe we're entering into that phase of smartphones but we we lived in a time where everybody had uh, not everybody a very large number of people all had the best phone yeah i i think i get it with the no it's weird to put it in the context of apple because apple's um, over a month away presumably sometime in september uh they'll put out iphones um so it's weird to put it in the context without us knowing, although that phone has leaked so thoroughly, I feel like it. Well, and recently the New York Times seemed pretty confident, yeah. $9.99 for the... Um, so it's like, you know, we, we're putting in a, a somewhat speculative context. But I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, there was a cheaper iPhone. There's always been a second iPhone. Like storage sizes, and then you could buy last year's model. Yeah, but like... Last year's model always sells well. If I bought a car, I would... At best, get like a forty thousand dollar car. That's actually way more than I could afford. But let's assume, <laughs> right? But there's a really rich person, yeah, who can get like you know a billion dollar car. I don't know how much cars go. <laughs> but if I walk down the street and I'm like you know I'm sweating because I don't own a car, and a guy who valet parked his Lamborghini is eating in a nice restaurant, I got just as good of a phone as him. Yeah. You know, everything about his life is superior. He's got he eats better, drives a better car, and and he's got nicer clothes and all of those things for him. Well, I've got heart and the same photos. <laughs> I think what the listener should know is that Paul 
frequently spotted in New York walking up to fancy people just screaming, I've got the same phone <laughs> that's as you. Right, that's right. They got to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I'm excited to see what like a really high-end phone looks totally. like. I'm excited to see what it can do. I think that, you know, there's all the arguments about like Apple, particularly at scale. They have to price it higher so they can make fewer of the thing and get these components. I think John Gruber's been on that trip for a while. I, more cynically, just to like present this viewpoint, I'm not sure how much I believe it. Like, I think they have to make their phones more exciting, right? Oh, like sure. in, a, in a serious way. Like the current design of the iPhone, which dates back to the 6, I don't think it's ever been beautiful. I, I think in my initial review of the iPhone 6 Plus, which is three years ago now, I was like, this thing is a surfboard because it's always been a little bit ungainly. I think it's, this design has always looked best in the case. Now they've got the essential phone. The S8 is beautiful. Other phones, Android phones, are beginning to match the industrial design, get rid of the bezels. They've got to do something really big and splashy. And they've got to like solve the problem of increasing revenue at the same amount of phone sales because the phone sales are like flattening a little bit. That's a lot of problems to solve. And like an easy way to solve it is be like, we're going to slice, slice off the top end of this market where people are just going to buy the best thing because we're Apple and a lot of people buy our best thing and charge them more for a cooler thing. And like, you can view that cynically. I've been trying to present it cynically, but now that I've said it all out loud, it's like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's just the thing to do. Yeah. yeah like, it's fine. It's, it's like, I just want to mourn the passing of an era. You know, you're still drinking the same Coca-Cola as that guy, man. That's like that Andy Warhol quote. Uh, no, he's he's, in the, he's, he's got that he's sugar. Got, he's, he's got that like cane sugar stuff. <laughs> <laughs> fly, flying it in from Mexico. Yeah. Like you're drinking way nicer coconut water than me right now. Paul also bizarrely just pouring Coca-Cola in suit guys in Fight Island. No, that's libel. <laughs> You're not disputing the screaming. I have the same phone as you. No, not but at all. pouring Coca Cola is where you cross the line. Yeah, that's uh, wa- it's wasteful. Dieter, what else do you know about the Note Eight? Like, what's um, the thing? Is it you know they made that video about the Note Seven? Uh, I think Sean mm-hmm. described it as ridiculous. Like the video of all the Note Seven owners being sad about the Note Seven. Like we're really sorry. I thought that video was great. Like it was just like very yeah, I did too. Heartfelt and, and neat. Um, and like well, well they executed. needed to justify the existence of the note of like bringing it back, right? Yeah. Not, and have it be something more than just like, yeah, no, we, we like making this phone. And so they putting it in the context of there are like note fans, there are note loyalists who love this thing. And so we're doing it for them mm-hmm. is like the right jujitsu move for them to like address the explosions, and then move immediately away from them. Yeah. Uh, so that was a genius piece of marketing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I know. We're going to get one soon. I'm a, you know, someone's going to review it. Like, I think the it's— The big question to me is how long is the battery life going to last? Because they, you know, they were appropriately conservative on the battery size, and they didn't increase the pixel count even though the screen is bigger. So, I mean, it still looks great, whatever, but it's not like—it's not—it's a big screen, but it's not, a, like— a million more pixels or 10 million more pixels to push. Yeah. But it's still a bigger screen. And so can this thing actually last a day on that battery is a very interesting question. Yeah. Just like having this conversation, it occurs to me that phones are about to become really interesting again. Like there's a lot of really hot competition in this market right now in a way that I haven't seen in quite some time, right? Like if Apple puts out this phone that's been well leaked, which I think we all assume that they will, 
that thing's going to be cool. It's going to look really yeah. weird, but it's going to be cool and have like, you know, high end processing power, all this AR kit stuff that they're, they're, they seem to be really focused on. The essential phone is really interesting. The S8 continues to just like be a great phone. And I think Apple actually yeah, has a lot the, of work to do. Pixel XL is coming in October. Yeah. I think Apple has a lot of work to do to catch up to the current state of Android cameras. So, like, I'm hoping to see a jump there. I mean, there's just, like, a lot going on. Uh, the Note's cool yeah. and, the, and the Pixel stuff. I think October, is that what we're kind of looking at? The, the current For the Pixel? Yeah. Yeah, the rumor is October 5th. Evan Blast said it was October 5th. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, a couple weeks. And I will say this. Our, our Circuit Breaker show, live show on Twitter, starting in that October time frame. So lots of toys for us to play with. Uh, little, little did you week. just announce our Circuit Breaker live show? It's been announced. It was at New Fronts. People know okay. we're doing it. We're doing a live show, guys. Look, just keep it on the low. Hey, just for Vergecast people. <laughs> yeah. Don't shh, be quiet. When all of you want okay. the Vergecast to be a live stream, I think it should be an audio show. So now we're going to do another thing where we play with toys on cameras. It's going to be great. Don't uh, tell anyone. It's just a serious a secret for Virtual listeners. All right. Speaking of shows, I'm going to read an ad. Uh, Lauren Grush, second episode of Spacecraft 1-Up. She also went and saw the eclipse in totality. So I'm going to read this ad. I spent a little bit of time talking to her, and we're going to come back. And Paul is going to tell us what's going on with Intel, because he knows now. This episode of the Vergecast brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever need to send money internationally? Maybe you're an engineer who moved to the U.S. or a business owner paying suppliers in another country or a freelancer getting paid by a client in a foreign country. You should use TransferWise, the cheaper, easier way to send money. Because when it comes to sending money, banks stuck in the past. Bold line from TransferWise. TransferWise is the future, an even bolder line. It uses a peer-to-peer network that trims the fat off of international payments. You pay into a local account, and TransferWise pays your recipient from an account in their country. The currency is done over cross-borders. Why well, does it matter to you? Because it lets TransferWise do things your bank can't. They don't charge you expensive fees or give you a poor exchange rate, and often your bank just takes way too long. You also save time and money with TransferWise. TransferWise payments take seconds to set up. They charge one tiny fixed fee, and they give you an exchange rate that would make your Uncle Larry proud. Uh, that's what they've written here. Do you have an Uncle Larry? I don't. Okay. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they've written here. So, Uncle Larry, I hope you're proud. Anyway, see how much you could save by going to TransferWise.com or download the app from the App Store or Google Play. Once again, that is TransferWise.com. Transfer as in, I need to transfer money to another country. Wise is in, that Confucius guy sure was wise. Another thing they've written. That's it. TransferWise.com. Send some money. Lauren Grush. Hello. How's it going? It goes great. It goes great. It goes great? Yeah. It went well. It went well. <laughs> All is well. In the present, not in the past. In past, present, future, all is well. Good. Okay. Uh, so I want to talk to you about your show, Spacecraft, yes. which is very exciting. But I'm not going to start that way because what I really want to ask you about is the eclipse because you <laughs> went and saw totality. I did. I was in Nashville with my family and our former colleague Miriam's family. <laughs> it was a big party. Yeah. Uh, and it was the craziest, coolest thing. I'm so glad I went. I went, well, okay, I, of course I wanted to see the eclipse, but I also wanted to take a picture of it because I have a DSL camera and I thought, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've i dabbled, maybe I can do it. Yeah. Um, so I like learned some tips about how I should try. I got a solar filter and everything, set up my shot uh, when we were down there and everything was going fine. We had found this like, um, this little park by the place that I was staying it was really off the grid. Nobody knew about it. Like a couple of people started showing up. We maybe had like a couple dozen people out there. 
and we had set up our shots and we were just fine for most of the day. We were like, it was, it was a little park on the water. So there was a lake, a little patch of grass where we had set up and then a bunch of trees because it was so hot. So we would go and sit underneath the trees, go check on our cameras and then go sit back down again so we wouldn't burn up. And everything was great. I would go out, take a couple pictures because it takes a while. You know, yeah. it was like an hour and a half before uh, it it um, was completely covered. And uh, and then like 30 minutes before totality, you know, yeah. when it's totally covered up, there was this huge cloud that covered up the sun. And, that, and then I realized, I was like, oh, this is why everyone complains about clouds because you really can't see anything. It just completely yeah. goes away. Then the cloud went away. And we were like, okay, we should be fine. And then my dad's standing there, and he's like, I think you're in the clear. You're fine. And I was like, Dad, you just ru- you just jinxed it. <laughs> and sure sure enough, sure enough, the cloud comes back. Oh, the no. same freaking cloud comes back, and then it's just hanging out on the edge of the sun for, like, the next 10 minutes. And we're just, Miriam and I are sitting there, and we're like, do we move? Like, what do we what do? We do? <laughs> I'm starting to like freak out. Like, I'm like, Eclipse oh my god, panics. That's it. Well, I mean, can you imagine? It was a cl- it was clear all day up until that point, and then her dad comes running over and he's like, "Look over there!" And there's this illuminated patch of ground, and me and Miriam just make that mental decision, like, "Okay, we're going," and we just like pick up our because it's not it's not easy to run with all this stuff. It's a tripod, a camera, a huge lens and the filter on top. So we were both like <laughs> running across this park. I was barefoot cause I'd kicked off my sandals. So I'm running all on like rocks and sticks and stuff. And I was like, and I'm dying for my art here. And then, uh, <laughs> I just want to be clear. You looked at each other and, and telepathically decided that you could outrun a cloud. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there might've been a like, a let's go kind of thing, yeah. you know? No, I just want to. I want the listener to know you've heard Lauren a lot. Miriam has actually been on the Vergecast before too. Oh yeah. Uh, she she was on when we did the first lady interview in in three sixty. Miriam was on that episode. But Lauren and Miriam, it is not surprising to me at all <laughs> that they would telepathically decide to outrun a cloud together. <laughs> it's just it's very in character for it's the. How both sync, of you. in sync we are yeah. after all this time of working together. <laughs> Anyway, so we run to the patch, and of course Miriam sets up her shot in like two seconds. Mm -hmm. And we have two minutes, by the way. And I I missed this part, but the entire time, Miriam had brought this timer that every couple minutes would be like five minutes to start of totality. Oh, my God. So it was also, it was like really helpful, but also awful at the same time, because as the cloud was getting closer, it'd be like three minutes to totality. And I'm like, what do I do? (laughs) Make a decision. And so then we get there. It's like two minutes before and she set up her shot. I'm like on the verge of tears because I can't find it. And just so you know, finding the sun with your solar filter on your camera is really tough because it blocks out literally everything but the sun. So you're searching in the sky. And at this point, the sun's barely there because it's about to be covered. So I'm searching for a little bitty like sliver of sun in the sky. I'm like about to cry and then all of a sudden I just like swing the the lens up and I find it and I start screaming I was like I found it I found it and then as like one minute later it it completely covers it it up and I got it and I and then I I snapped my pictures and then after a bit I just like flung my arms back and fell on the ground and just like watched it because I was like okay I I just have to like enjoy this for myself what was totality like um how to describe it I really did feel like I was on another planet yeah because it 
it felt like daytime and nighttime at the same time. And I, I know that's like a lame description, but it, it really did. It really felt eerie. It was not. It was. It was a like a weird twilight zone that you're in, because you it's still illuminated, but it's definitely dark, and you're like, oh my god, it was just yeah. daytime, you know? How is this happening right now? And the the probably the coolest thing was you turned around and it's sunset behind you. All the colors. I have a picture of it in the story that I wrote from Miriam's dad actually, and it looks it's like red orange hues and it's dark sky above. It was really amazing yeah. to look at and everyone screaming that was the other thing people were legitimately screaming in terror <laughs> like terror? you knew it was going to happen <laughs> i at first well i remember because i was i was so focused on getting the picture but then i talked with um some people afterwards and i was like was that just me or did i hear people like screaming scared and they were like oh yeah they definitely were like people were That's terrified so I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, here in New York, we, it was only 70% yeah. in New York. And everyone was waiting for it to be totality. Like we right. were all out. Uh, <laughs> like, like, sorry. We were all standing out. There's like huge crowds. Yeah. We, our office in the financial district, so all these like suits, <laughs> you know, like with the glasses. Great. Uh, and we were like, we should do a countdown. So we just kept on like randomly starting countdowns. <laughs> and hoping people- it didn't work. But it was like a great moment here. Yeah. Like everyone was like sharing and Did it get noticeably darker? It got uh no. It got <laughs> flatter. Does that make any sense? The light got really weird and flat. Yes, I do remember that. I remember at some point before the eclipse started, it felt as if I was in a room with a lamp on. Yeah. Did it kind of feel like that here too? Yeah. It's you know, like like twilight or sunset time, like magic hour. Yeah. It's like really beautiful. Yeah. It was that color of light, but it wasn't beautiful yeah no right? I, I know exactly what you're talking about it was very much like this the the, the light source feels artificial yeah. in a way it was just like a weird moment yeah and then the sort of the peak happened here and it's funny because you know the sun's going or the moon's going across the sun right so there's still like another hour right of eclipse and everyone's <laughs> like well the peak happened and we just like went back inside yeah <laughs> and i was like all right that was okay. it uh okay let's talk about your show i'm sure i'm i could talk about the eclipse all day because it was super fun yeah. but you're making a you're making a show about space. Making a show about space. We put up our second episode. Man, we're flying through these. <laughs> we are flying through. Uh, this episode like was about so the, the first episode was you running around in, in spacesuits, like real physical. Yes. You're in the thing. This one's like all VR. Right, right. Well, this one, yeah, more simulation. So uh, we got to do a lot when we were at NASA. We were at the Systems Engineering Simulator facility, and that one they had like a mock-up rover for driving on Mars, which we got to try out, which was pretty cool. Um, but I think my favorite part was definitely doing the VR spacewalks. Yeah. And because those are that there's a virtual reality lab at NASA, NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. And that is a place where astronauts legitimately go and they uh, they train for their spacewalks because they can recreate whatever the spacewalk scenario is in VR. And it's really helpful for knowing, you know, exactly where everything is going to be you know, how far you can reach. Obviously, you can't reach very far, so it, it takes a little while to kind of scale. Like, if you need to get somewhere on the station, you have a better idea of, okay, I'm going to probably have to find another thing to grab onto here, and then, you know, just underneath here, grab onto that. It's just a good way of, like, having a spatial understanding. And then also um, how to, like, control your movement. So in on Earth, you'd probably pull yourself up you know, in a, but in space, just moving your wrist will will 
alter your entire body. Wait, really? Yeah, because, you know, you don't have gravity. So right. really the only way to move is to, to just slightly change, like, how you're, you, you know, how you twist yourself or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's a, it's a way of kind of breaking out of that, you know, that idea of how you think you should be moving versus how you would actually be moving in space. So that was cool. And then, of course, we did the demonstration where they flung me off the space station yeah. and I had to get back. You had to rock yourself back to <laughs> yeah. the, the classic Lauren Grush line, George Clooney was so much faster. <laughs> uh, so that was like, that's an interesting rig. Like you were, it's funny because taking video of VR is hard and then talking about it on like an audio show is right, harder. Right. But you're, you were in the big helmet and then you're wearing, you know, kind of the big torso controller yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I was supposed but to kind of simulate the chest pieces that you have when you're wearing the the actual space. But seat. you were seated. Right. So why why were you seated as opposed to like standing up or whatever? Uh I think it's it's more because I I I don't actually know the answer, but I would say assume it has more to do with the fact that you're moving your arms. Like when you're in doing a spacewalk, your legs are kind of useless. That's why they usually put you in um harnesses or there's a foot foot restraint. Mm-hmm. Uh, astronauts often get foot restraints just to hold them in place. Your real tools are your arms and your hands when you're doing spacewalks. So I think it was more about focusing on the upper part of your body than it was maybe. And it could also be the fact that since your legs don't really come into play, you know, you have to learn how not to work without them. So yeah. maybe that had to do why, with why sitting was important. It's really more of just kind of like making sure you you're seeing things correctly and experiencing them from the body up. So were you when you were in the VR suit and they like eject you off the station yeah. and you've got to use safer to get back. Was that as disorienting as it seemed? Oh yeah. And it was a ver- it was a little nauseating. <laughs> 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 like when I took off the headset I was like, "Oh, my stomach doesn't feel so great." And they're like, "Yeah, it's it's pretty Yeah. uh a little nausea do you think?" But the safer like it puts you in a correct orientation automatically, right? How does it do oh, that? Oh, yeah. So first off, safer. It's this jet backpack that you've got on. with yeah, little, just a regular, yeah. regular jet backpack. And it has little thrusters up near your shoulders. And, um, yeah, so what it does is it has this automatic uh, spin control type thing. So you notice I was spinning. And once you power up the the backpack, it will try, it'll stop your spin. And then it's on you to get back. So the first thing I had to do once I stopped spinning was find the station. Look to my left. There it was. And then you have to. You have two controls. You have this. How you spin. How you rotate. So first, I rotated back, and then once I was in the position that I wanted to be, um, then I tra- switched into translation mode, which meant I could move forward or side to side. Um, and then basically, it was just a way. It was a matter of making sure I went in a straight enough line, which is hard because you're. You know, if you. Move to the left just a little bit. That'll keep you going. Like, you know, you don't have anything to stop you. So just the little movements that you make have a big impact in the long run. But and I didn't actually quite make it back to the airlock that I was supposed to. But or there was like, is that okay? And they're like, no, as long as you're at the station, you're fine. But I did end up making it back (laughs) safely. Um, The best part was that uh, I asked them how long it would, you know, you had. I I said that in the video. It was like. They're like five to ten minutes usually, and then when I got out, they're like, eh, I don't know if you made it. Really? And then I, then they were like, Oh, actually, you did it in four minutes. And I was like, What are you talking about? <laughs> I did great. Yeah, they're screwing with you. <laughs> uh, and then you also drove 
the rover, yeah, which is like the thing that I would want to do most of all in the entire world. Yeah, that one was cool. I just like how they design their rovers. So the the rovers have twelve wheels, and you all you need is a joystick. So pretty much anybody could drive these things. But the best part is like you move it, you push the joystick forward, it moves forward. You push the joystick sideways, all the wheels turn sideways, and then the thing just moves sideways. And then you can also if you rotate the joystick they all the wheels all form in a circle and you can like spin around it's it's pretty neat design i want one can i have one? How much? <laughs> like a billion right? <laughs> nasa has one that you can take out for a spin we tried to get in that one but it was uh, out of commission that day so we gotta <laughs> next back. time we're yeah we have to go back we're coming back spacecraft season two greenlit you heard it here first yes. <laughs> one episode it's just me and the rover fucking going crazy yes um so what's like the biggest takeaway from like your vr experiences or your simulation experiences uh i guess my biggest takeaway is just never I mean it's it really just changes your perception. Never assume how things are going to be out there. You know, like you think just moving or you think just scaling the wall of something is going to be easy, but it really did take me a while to get the hang of you know how you spin your wrist or um you know what you need to grab onto. It's not very clear what you have that you can use out there. So yeah, it was just a it was a good way of Getting you out of your expectations and and showing you the real challenges of just like minor tasks. Yeah, because it's just like you think getting back to the station would be easy. I mean, George, like I said, George Clooney makes it look easy. He's like floating around, you know, doing somersaults and stuff. But just moving forward is a task. Yeah. You know. You know, it's funny. I, I look at the comments of all these videos because mm-hmm. I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> Good. You're doing it for me. <laughs> I'm doing it for you. Uh, no, but like w- one thing that comes up a lot in all these comments, uh, almost all of your space videos, is people are surprised that it's not like what the movies are. Right. And it's amazing to me how much the movies color our perceptions of what it's like, especially the movies that that want to be taken seriously. Right. So gravity is like supposed to be so accurate and then you're doing the actual thing. Right. And you're like, wait, it's radically different. The problem is it would be the movies would be so boring. <laughs> but not I mean, I think I find all this stuff interesting. But yeah, hyper realism means things would be a lot more slow. Yeah. And a lot harder just to do very simple things. It turns out they would just die immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like the movie's like five minutes long. Yeah, because he's first off, he's not supposed to be using that thing. <laughs> Like what? What you learn is that they never use safer. Yeah, it's always meant to be a backup plan, and you're always tethered to the outside of the space station, no matter what. So I don't know if her tether got broken when she was, or they were on the space shuttle. But I would assume they still had a tether. So I don't know how she got flung off, or I'm sure it got. I think it'd be amazing to rewatch Gravity with you after (laughs) after the. Oh, you don't want to. There's some some parts in there where I was like. The science. <laughs> well, that's why I would want to watch it with you. All right. Spacecraft season three confirmed. It's just Lauren <laughs> <Season> three. <laughs> slowly watching Gravity by herself and yelling. That's great. Uh, you've got another episode coming next week. Yes. What's that one about? So this one is all about health and biology. So I feel like a lot of people, when they think about going to space, they think it's going to be just like a big old fun time. But in reality, there's a lot of health issues that you have to deal with. Especially if you're going into space for a long period of time. Your body changes. Um, you go through fluid shifts. Like your fluid shift because they're not being pulled down by gravity. And that has a host of problems. And then also most of your day is dedicated to working out. <laughs> <laughs> so like 
if you want to be a fitness buff, then yeah. yeah, you could go to space. But that's something you have to think about as well. Yeah. So it's it's it has to do with that, and then also you know this the space environment isn't necessarily hospitable all the time. Yeah. So we talk about what's that. the craziest thing that you did for this next episode? I did uh, squat lifts. <laughs> 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 and I don't. I'm. I'm sure I'm gonna get. Can, enjoy reading the comments on this one, Neli, because I'm sure everyone's gonna critique my form and give me all this crap about it. So I'm just gonna really looking off. forward to that. Just shutting off. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't even published it, and somehow comments are already off. Yeah. It's very confusing. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. On YouTube. Yes. And then all kinds of bits and pieces all over Facebook. Right. Very exciting. You can get a hold of Lauren on the Twitters. On the Twitters at Lauren Grush, L O R E N G R U S H. Spacecraft comes out on Tuesdays. Thanks for stopping by again. Yeah. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Looking forward to it. Squat lifts. Mm. <laughs> I won't. We, and how I'll never do them again. We're going to do it. We'll have another <laughs> eclipse. It'll be great. Okay. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Bye. All right. We're back. Lauren, a delight as always. We said this already, but watch the next episode of Spacecraft. Actually, we were just talking about Google, but there's yeah. in rumors, and we should get into those a little bit, but they named it Oreo. During Oreo. the eclipse. Uh, they had this whole event in New York where, like, they had an eclipse-watching party, and then the statue was, like, unveiled. Oreo uh, statue, it's a, a superhero, a, a woman, actually. First time a, the mascot for Oreo has uh, had a gender. Uh, mascot for Android. whole theme for Oreos. For Android, excuse me. Their whole theme for uh, Oreo's uh, superhero stuff, uh, which is, I don't know, maybe a little bit overdoing it. There's stuff in Oreo. Don't get me wrong, but it's stuff like we do a better job of uh, closing down crappy apps that eat your battery, and <laughs> we promise this time. We promise this time, uh, Android updates will actually, you know, work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to undersell it. There's some other stuff, but it's other stuff like notification dots, and uh, I'm excited to snooze notifications. That's pretty cool. But this, like, Oreo is not a massive game-changing update to Android. It's a bunch of little stuff. It's a bunch of plumbing. I'm happy about all of it, but I'm not going to have the angst about being on Android N Nougat, you know, in November when all the pixels have them. Really? Yeah, I'm just not going to have that much angst about it. I'm really not. Hmm. I don't... It's funny. Nougat, I feel like we made a huge deal out of it. It's it's Android. I mean, this is like the Android thing. They announced (laughs) the new one. We're like, Nougat, and I get it. And now no one talks about Android Nougat anymore because all the other Android phones have come out and, like, they're running their own weird versions of Android. Well, I do feel like Nougat had a really relatively wide and rapid – seemed like all the phones that had been announced or that had been released in the past year or so got it in a relatively – Yeah, but I think that it's it's, – install base is still – 15, a little less than 15% of uh, all Android phones right now. Yeah, maybe it's just no, don't a get me wrong. perspective. There are, Android's the most popular operating system on the planet right now. There are, you know, I don't know how many billion, over a billion devices running it currently. So 15% of that is, you know, not anything to sneeze at or however you want to say it. Uh, but it's still, <laughs> it's, it's, it's still fundamentally a problem that they can't get updates out to more devices more quickly. Yeah, but I don't like we wrote all this stuff about the Note Eight. I don't recall anywhere in there being like runs nougat. Like it's just like accepted and it's under this veneer of Samsung stuff. So great. Yeah, right. I I think that's like a that's a thing that Apple definitely has in its corner where they, you know, iOS eleven is out. People are playing with it. They're screwing with it. And then the next phone is like the ultimate embodiment of that OS. And like 
you know, Google just doesn't have that. They're not playing that game quite that same way. I hope they do. I hope that I hope they find a way to make the Pixel that thing, but they got a ways to go. Uh, other rumors, yeah. though. Well, I mean, that is the cadence, though. Yeah. Little smart speaker, little Google Home, little baby guy to yep. take on the Dot. Um, yep. I continue to believe the Dot is like the smartest product in Amazon's entire library of products, next to the Kindle, which is wonderful, but, you know, the Dot is like the new market. I think it makes a lot of sense for Google to go cheap. And then I think it puts the HomePod in this like other zone entirely. What? Yeah, no, they have to go cheap. What I mean, the the Home actually originally also was cheaper than the original Echo. Yeah. What is the price that they rumored for this? I, I've lost the tab. I don't think that we know the price. This all comes from Android Police, who alongside the Dot competitor uh, says that they're also going to release a new Chromebook Pixel at like the $800-ish price point for a Chromebook, which is not as crazy as the Pixel and the Pixel 2 back in the day. Um but still, for Chromebooks, like mo- the best Chromebook you can get right now is about five hundred bucks. Uh, there's really nothing up north of that right now. It was very difficult to convince anybody that it was worth spending over a thousand dollars on a Chromebook uh, a few years ago, and that's because it wasn't. <laughs> I thought the Pixel was beautiful. There are people who like are Pixel partisans. Like that machine is still pretty awesome, but bang for your buck wise, like what you're doing is spending a bunch of money to feel nice about having a Pixel. You're not buying necessarily that much better of a computer yeah um we'll see what they do if in fact they do release a pixel in october pixel chromebook i think i would maybe get a baby google home yeah i i i think the the, the chromecast feature would would be cool yeah i'd like to roll into my room and say google play path of exile on youtube yeah and just does it and then it does it. It's the dream. I've been saying that's dream for a long time. Like it's so so little value that I need to not spend very much for that device <laughs> that does that. Yeah. But if I could spend just a little bit for the device that does that, I think I'd be into it. I'd be into it. Um our problem is we have uh an Alexa in a bathroom and an Alexa in the kitchen, um, or an echo and an echo show. And we haven't put them on the same Amazon account because one's on mine, one's on my wife's. Um yeah, no, don't do that. If you have multiple <laughs> Echo devices in your house, put them all in the same account because if you don't, then they all will respond to you because oh. they don't they're not aware of each other. So, when I'm cooking, I'll like I'll play NPR to listen to the radio and I'll set timers and then I get done cooking and then, you know, sit down to eat dinner and I'm like, what is that noise? <laughs> and it's you know, it's in the bathroom on the other side of the apartment just playing the alarm, just going. That's amazing. You should set different wake words. Yeah, I, I that's might kind do of that. a fight. That's like a real couples yeah. fight. Like, I want yeah. computer, you can't have it. That's one of the reasons that, that Google Home is better, though, because it like, can recognize voices and play your stuff if it recognizes your voice. Yeah. Uh, Google anyway. also uh, deal with Walmart to do better shopping. Google yeah. Home, which I think is real strong. Uh, although Amazon is still Amazon. Like, you know, it's like Google like announces like a little pair up with Walmart to like make shopping on the Google Home easier. Amazon announces. We've completed the acquisition of Whole Foods, and all prices of avocados will now be cheaper, and every Whole Foods will have an Amazon Prime locker in it, and the Whole Foods membership rewards is now Amazon Prime. And it's like, yeah, we hung out with Walmart. (laughs) That's what we did. (laughs) Google Shopping is now slightly less of a dumpster fire than it was before. It's it's still a dumpster. It's just not on fire now. (laughs) They bought a Walmart fire extinguisher. 
<laughs> it took a little longer to put up than you would really hope for, but it still went out. There. It still worked. Uh, and then there's uh, Samsung, actually, DJ Co. at the Note. So they're going to do a smart speaker, too, which feels like an enormous waste of time. But yeah. it's Samsung. they got to have everything. Yeah. You know, it's like someone's got the Samsung house. It's probably DJ Co. Like all the stuff is Samsung, and it all works in perfect harmony because they're weird – their weird twist on all the standards, like AnyNet Plus. He's like, I love AnyNet Plus. It's just really tied this house together. And everyone was like, I don't know what that is. I mean, I know AnyNet Plus exists, but if you had if you had made up any other like <laughs> random yeah. brand name, I would have believed that it was real. Like, That's like, what I'm saying. Double, it, double whisper. <laughs> double whisper. <laughs> Samsung's newest smart home standard, double whisper. Uh, someone's going to believe that's true. All right, Paul. Yeah. Last week on the show, I said, hey, explain this Intel stuff to me. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I was really confused by it, so I actually spent some time reading up on it. Um, Haim Gartenberg explained it to me today. It mm-hmm. took him, I would say, three and a half minutes just to get to the basics. But I'm interested. Here, Let's see it. I wrote out notes so I don't get like anything super wrong. But here's what I think has happened. <laughs> <laughs> Intel is now entered what it's called... It, what it's calling its eighth generation. Yeah. But the first chips that are part of its eighth generation are what's called KB Lake Refresh. So it has slightly modified the KB Lake architecture by basically adding some more cores, more threads, and it claims you'll get about 40% improvement um, in performance. Um, uh they also have modified the integrated graphics, but they didn't improve them. They only added like better compatible, like built-in HDCP stuff, so that ostensibly you get better like 4K support. Because they they changed the name of their integrated graphics from HD 620 to UHD 620, but they didn't actually change the power. So it's basically 4K compatibility, like with TVs for copyrighted content. Um, a non-tech thinks these might be a little hot. Yeah. So well, they're desktop chips. No, no, no. This, the, the, what they announced are laptop chips. Oh, okay. So they're the fifth, the fifteen it's watts, hot, right? Pretty hot laptop chip, I think. They're like, I mean, it's like the U series. Oh, okay. Please don't ask me too many questions because it's <laughs> very confusing. I wrote the facts that these are these are. Going to be a basic laptop. I was going to ask you a question. Yeah. Okay. Go so ahead. we normally think of Intel chips as a TikTok. There's the tick where they th- reduce the nanometer size, and there's a talk where they improve it. Is this like a TikTok talk? I mean, I think they've already talked about like moving past that. Like that. There's they, like they, they talked. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. They, <laughs> there's different. There's like these multiple stages of re- refinement. Um, this is. We're in like 14 nanometer plus. I mean, the interesting thing is, is that they were 32 nanometers in 2011, right? That's when you're talking process. You're mostly talking about like how big it is, right? 22 nanometers was Ivy Bridge in 2012. Uh, then Haswell was 22 nanometers in 2013. Then Broadwell was four, 14 nanometers in 2014. And then we've been on 14 nanometers for a while now. And we're in 14 nanometers plus, and then there's going to be maybe Coffee Lake, which is part of what this whole, a lot of the confusion was, is that five days before announcing these, this eighth generation, these in, like laptop processors, 
Intel was like, hey, here's our future plans for our ninth generation chips. And there's this thing called Coffee Lake. And um, like they were talking about 10, 10 nanometers. They're 10 nanometer plus. Like the, not the first 10 nanometer chip they would do, the ones after that. That's what they were talking about five days before announcing these new laptop chips, which are the KB Lake refresh. By the way, I was wrong. 15 watts is pretty good. That's like an ultra portable, right? Yeah. Most of them are like 28 and 45. So a non-tech thinks these might be a little hot for these, but maybe some of them, like larger laptops that were using higher power chips might be able to get enough power out of these, these KB Lake refresh chips and therefore they could get better battery life. Um, so that's the thing. There's a lot going on with these chips. Haim uh, told me that he wants to write a story called Core Wars. About AMD versus Intel being hot again? I think that's – I mean, I think the thing is is there's very – this is just a tiny little minor refresh. The only reason it's confusing is because Intel has all these nomenclatures. They've got their process. They've got their generations. They've got their their lakes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, obviously they have a bunch of different power levels of chips and their desktop chips and different laptop chips and stuff like that. We should see if we can get the CEO of Intel to sit down and just like – Quiz him. I Coffee would, like you know go. Be great is just like put up a blank chart, and he's got to fill in <laughs> all the lakes. <laughs> all the lakes. It's a map of lakes. Yeah, like do, do, maybe we fill in one of the lakes, right? Yeah. But what nanometers is that? Go. <laughs> Torturing Ryan Krasanich. Uh Well, if you work at Intel, uh, you can email us uh, if you are able to get the CEO of Intel to uh, fill in a lake chart. This episode of VergeCast also brought to you by Qualcomm Snapdragon Gigabit LTE. With download speeds up to seven times faster than typical home Wi-Fi, Snapdragon Gigabit LTE can turbocharge all your connected apps. You can stream 360-degree videos in 4K resolution with minimal buffering. You can access files in the cloud nearly as fast as you would if they were stored on your phone. You can download hours of movies or music in a matter of seconds. To learn more, visit snapdragon.com gigabit today. Verizon this week announced... It had an unlimited plan, uh-huh. and it's breaking it into three unlimited plans, all of which are notably worse for the specific reason that Verizon is now capping video resolutions on its network. So you, you basically cannot get 1080p on Verizon's network anymore. Or, yeah, you just can't do it. Um, the cheapest plan actually makes it even lower. The throughput uh, speeds are capped as well. I think they're doing this because their network – has been choked ever since they went to Unlimited to respond to T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. AT&T has been doing this as well. They they made less fanfare about it, but a bunch of AT&T's plans now have like Stream Saver or whatever it is, does the same thing just automatically. AT&T's network also kind of choked. So this move to Unlimited clearly had network of <laughs> network effects, had network effects they weren't anticipating and now they're like capping these video speeds. With AT and T, at least. By the way, you before can turn we get into off. the the, before we get into the industry stuff, I just want to point out that they took existing plans, like the unlimited plan that I am on currently. They capped the um, amount of tethering I can get, and they capped the video quality I can get with twenty four hour notice. Yeah, which is bonkers. And this is a few weeks after. Someone caught them throttling YouTube, and they're like, oh, we just do these tests all the time. No no reason to worry. And then, like, several weeks later, they're like, 
in 24 hours, we're capping your video ban- bandwidth. Obviously, there's net neutrality stuff, whatever to talk about. I think that's <laughs> it's there. I, I think it's actually less interesting. Like, there's all these implications for it, but like, whatever, Verizon's going to do whatever Verizon does, and it's not like this FCC is going to do anything about it. So it's there, great, right? Like, it's interesting to yeah. consider. But I think that is actually less interesting than the fact that we did that story. It popped up to the ch- top of our uh, charts like instantly. The Wall Street Journal did that story. The Wall Street Journal has been relentlessly promoting this story. They tweet it out every day. They've tweeted it out every day for a week. The only reason any organization does that is if it's getting pickup. I think people are actually super pissed about this. And I think Verizon doesn't have a great argument in response except to say we need to manage our network more tightly, which to me, if you're going to do that and then also make the argument that mobile is the future and we don't need all this like wired broadband competition, you have, you're, you're just kind of disproving your point that you're in this hyper-competitive market where your consumers are happy with you and you can actually manage the shift to a purely mobile environment. That's what interests me. Also, AT&T, T-Mobile let you turn this stuff off. You can turn off StreamSaver on AT&T and just pay the money and you know get hit your cap and get throttled or whatever. Like you're, it's a choice you can make. T-Mobile, you can pay like five bucks and like get HD video for a day. Like a hilarious way to price that. But I'm actually with like Paul on this. Like I love goofy weird pricing. Like have some fun. It's great. Like that. That's a version of innovation. I mean, really, Verizon, so- you cannot pay the money. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That it's not even possible. Yeah. It just sounds like they really overpromised, and it sucks being the bearer of bad news as a company. And like, this is actual bad news. This yeah. is like telling your customers, "We promised that we could do a thing for you. We can't." Yeah. And you know, like John Ledger is just like, "There's no good way to tea. <laughs> good way to spin it. Sipping his tea in his tiny, tiny coverage area." I will say, I had been recently thinking of like moving over to to Verizon. It's like, well, you know what, like. I've been on T-Mobile because I like their pricing, but T-Mobile's put enough pressure on other companies to like improve, and like I've got pretty bad cell reception in like my prime areas right now. Um, not everywhere, but just in certain frequently habited spots, I just get bad. Like my office, <laughs> like <laughs> all of the area around my office, yeah, I get bad reception on T-Mobile. Or no, I get full bars, no data. Yeah. No, but that's true. When we when were out for the eclipse. Oh, yeah. Well, the eclipse just broke everything. Uh, but it was – Paul had full bars, no service. I had full bars in AT&T, and it was like chugging. And so I was like, well, man, I'd love to go to a, a better network, but maybe Verizon can't handle it either. So I yeah. don't know. Verizon, Verizon's network since uh, even before the Unlimited, it's been terrible for me. It's really? been getting worse and worse and worse to the point where I'm seriously considering switching. Uh, this plus uh, all the Oath ad shenanigans uh, has me think about switching. And then I'm like, okay, who am I going to switch to? Well, AT&T also has ad shenanigans. T-Mobile does net neutrality shenanigans. I'd say I'd switch to Project Fi, but the idea that I'd switch to Google because I'm uh, annoyed by ads <laughs> tracking is a very hilarious, ironic do, thing do, to do, say out loud. Do the X, the, um, the Xfinity, Comcast, Comcast. Yeah. yeah, why not? What about what about Sprint? Like until they get <laughs> bought, you know, Sprint. by SoftBank. Wow. Yeah, you get a free title right? subscription. <laughs> Jay Z comes to your house, <laughs> gives you a bag. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? What's up? 
Thank I don't have a lot to do. I really appreciate <laughs> you joining the Sprint. We have come to a point where there are no wireless services that you could not feel shitty about. Yeah. And that's always been that way, I suppose. But I don't know. With net neutrality back in the air and like the idea that wireless has more competition and therefore it's like going to be better than uh, wireline for net neutrality – I just don't believe it anymore. Yeah. Like they all, they're just they're just all bad. You're all, they're all evil. I hate them all. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm I'm just I'm just gonna give up on having internet on my phone altogether from now on. What's the point? In fact, I don't even need internet at all because all the wires go through evil companies too. So, uh, so did you read? There is a really great Vanity Fair piece about Oath early this week, um, and basically like. You know, they have AOL and Yahoo, and they got to, like, mash them together and make a new company. And I actually, you know, we we used to work at AOL for their current CEO, Tim Armstrong. I think Tim Armstrong is doing this thing where he's he's trying to create a new corporate culture by making them do crazy oath things. So, like, everyone has to, like, come up with a three-word oath to work at oath. It's, like, a real thing. No. Yep. It's a true fact. Um, but, like, it's smart that, because actually- now the AOL people and the Yahoo people all hate the same thing. So they're a little family born of hatred. There's people with like religious prohibitions against like swearing to do anything. I don't. You don't have to like swear fealty. <laughs> it's just called an oath. Like anyway, uh, I think his personal oath is never give up. There's a wall. It's like a real thing. It's all in peace. Um, but the most interesting part of that whole story, which I think is fascinating, AOL is going to close on this buyout of Time Warner, like that's going to happen. Verizon obviously bought AOL and Yahoo. And there's a, a, you know, an anonymous media executive who's like, Verizon's got a huge problem here because they have to look through the wreckage of AOL and Yahoo and find some media that is good enough to put on the home screen of the phone because that's the ultimate play here. AT&T, when they finish buying Time Warner, they're not going to – it's not even going to be a question – whether they should put HBO and Game of Thrones preloaded on the home screen of whatever phones and tablets they sell. It is not going to be a question whether AT&T can start pushing breaking CNN video across their network because that stuff is trusted and it's like premium high-end content. Verizon cannot push, I don't know. Yahoo Answers. Yahoo Answers to anyone. Like, you know, HuffPo is great, but they it's not at the same level. Like, they have to find something. And I think the economics of that for Verizon are going to start to shake out in extremely uncomfortable ways. But it's also going to lead to yet another set of net neutrality questions because AT&T is selling a garbage tablet now. What's it called? I have it on this list here. Uh, the Primetime. Oh, God, yeah. So AT&T is going to sell a Primetime. Uh, it's a little Android tablet. It's preloaded with all their DirecTV stuff. Um, and it's 20 bucks a month. And it is basically a TV that runs on their network outside of, like, your data plan stuff because it's all – they're giving DirecTV away. It doesn't hit your data cap. It's 20 bucks a month. And it's a bas- it's basically an Android cable box. And, like, that's the model they're moving towards. And I think it's somewhat fascinating but also, like, terrifying because that's the future for all of these companies. And that's different than a Fire tablet because they're also a, a delivery company. I mean, so Amazon makes a bunch of TV shows, but they don't – it's not HBO and CNN. It's not like – they're not getting Harry Potter yeah. out of the deal, right? Yeah, they've like, got some pretty – I mean, they're they uh, they're competitive with Netflix. I, I don't – I agree with you. I just think 
Time Warner as a media conglomerate is many, many, many times bigger than Netflix and Amazon, right? Like Netflix's competition is HBO. That's just one part of Time Warner, and it will be just one tiny part of AT&T, right? And Amazon's competition is HBO, which is just one part of this massive stack of I media I mean, Amazon's properties. competition is like Cub Foods. <laughs> Cub Foods <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, know. this part of it. Publix. <laughs> Publix. Yeah. Hannaford's going down. Uh, <laughs> Can we start writing more about grocery stores? <laughs> we have to now. It's the hottest tech market in America. Like new, like end caps. End <laughs> caps. Like, oh god. Like around the Super Bowl, somebody does like a really cool stack of like <laughs> some soda. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is in there, just like stacking up the chips. I don't know. Anyway, I just think it's like fast. Like, what's going on with these mobile companies is fast. Their networks are choked. They're looking for other ways to make money. There's these little glimmers of what they're going to have to do. And most of it looks like buying huge media companies and preloading content for you. And I, we can't complain a lot about carrier bloatware. And like, it's bad when it's like VZW Navigator or whatever. It's going to be worse when it's like the least important Yahoo property just starts showing up on your phone. That's it. That's my terrible vision of the future. Would you rather have buy a phone from Sprint and have the title app preloaded with the newest Jay-Z album on it or buy a phone from AT&T and have HBO Go preloaded with the most recent episode of Game of Thrones on? Ooh. The thing is I already pay for the services. Like I'm not getting anything out of that deal. But I'm going to go AT&T. Yeah. Yeah. Dieter? Devil's choice. Cabin in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I'm going fully off the grid, and then he goes to the Dieter, grocery store. He's like, I can't world, escape. You can like fill in a form when you buy the phone. Yeah, for which information? No, it's true. To get away from the tech industry now, you have to start like hunting and gathering your own food. You can't even go to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, this is really dark because there's a really good new uh, Unabomber documentary. So we should probably change the subject. Oh my! I yeah. wouldn't have even made that connection. Saying. Hey, it's really good. Apparently, he he made his own glue out of deer hoofs so that they couldn't track what, where his glue came from. That's dedication. Yeah. Also terrifying. There okay, a uh, yeah. few tiny lightning round week. items. Every uh, week. Oh, oh Paul. Yeah. Every week. I, for, I never forget. <laughs> never. <laughs> uh, this one's called, every week it's called, I mean. <laughs> Yoda Phone 3, still Yoda-ing. <laughs> So Yoda, Yoda phone, forever. Yoda forever. Yoda, not Yoda. I know it sounds. I can't. Yota. Yoda loaded. Yota phone. Yoda. Um, the, Yoda, Yota makes <laughs> a phone with an e-ink screen on the back. Yeah, and it's just one of those things that it looks like it's like a bad Kickstarter idea, and I'll never ship it, I'll never succeed, and they'll definitely not make three of them. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> So it's kind of like a mid, uh, low end phone, uh, but it's got you know it's five point five inch 1080p AMOLED on the front and a five point two inch ink display on the back. It's about six hundred bucks. Yes. It's probably only going to China, but I just love I just love this idea. I just love love the idea of like a second screen on the back. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, and I've never purchased one. Yeah, we should get one. But I'm just ha- yeah, we're definitely trying to. But I'm just happy that they're they just keep yoding. They're at it. Yeah, they figured out a little market. The that works ink somewhere. screen on the back is one of those things where you like it feels it, it's like the note. It's it's an th- aspirational thing where you like imagine. Yeah, I'll just leave it face down and it'll 
show my stuff, and when I'm going to bed at night, I can read an ebook on it, and it won't hurt my eyes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I won't get that blue screen syndrome or whatever they call it. I just got upsold super hard at LensCrafters. I needed new glasses, and they're like, these ones are specially tinted to filter out blue light. And I was like, do they turn everything blue? And they're like, no. Like, we figured it out. It's the same color. So I don't even know if it's working. Oh. But I was like, yeah, give that to me. There was a whole thing there in the 90s. They were called uh, blue blockers. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. Yellow glasses that everybody was trying to, you know, they're trying to convince everybody who ever used a computer that they needed to wear blue blockers. And you just, you just looked like an idiot because you were just wearing yellow glasses. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was for like computer users and like avid skiers. Uh, Yeah. But now, I don't know, LensCrafters got an extra 20 bucks out of me. We'll We'll see how that went. See if I'm calmer at night or if I need an Ian screen. All right. Two lightning round items. Survey finds Apple TV losing badly to Roku and Amazon Living Room. I think we're all expecting a new Apple TV at whatever Apple's next event is. It's all in the firmware that's been leaked, 4K, HDR. But Roku and Amazon stuff is real cheap. Yeah. Can Apple make a $50 Apple TV? Right. Or even cheaper. Like Roku's $35 streaming stick. It's not like the greatest experience in the world, but you know what it does? Plays Netflix. Yeah. So like, I think that's like a huge question for Apple. I will also say this confidently. We have made so much fun of Gene Munster on this show and in our lives because he's always like, Apple's going to make a TV. They should have made a TV. I think they missed the window to Whoa, actually make a TV. What? They should have just made a TV. Why? Because everyone would have bought it. When? I don't know. Last year or two years ago. Like they could have put out that product that's like, this is the Apple TV. A lot of people would have had it in their houses and then they could have – like, people would have bought that, I think, more than the Apple TV. But everyone else bought a smart TV in the meantime. Yeah. Those things are – they've hit the point of good enough, and there's very little reason to buy another box because you're not going to get some massive upgrade. Right. And so everyone's buying the cheaper boxes for all their other TVs. And I think they missed that turn oh. when they could have put the software on the display. Interesting. Yeah, that's my theory. Lightning round. Uh, Dieter, you want to talk about Safari and AMP? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> AMP, I mean, AMP, if you're not familiar, is uh, Google's uh, custom version of HTML uh, that gets served usually from Google's own servers, and it's faster, uh, but it's also a weird setup. Anyway, when you copy a link that's AMP in iOS 11 and then paste it somewhere else or share it in some other app, uh, iOS figures out what the actual canonical web link is, not the AMP version of it, and shares that, which is great because you know most people actually prefer that even though it's slower um it's i haven't actually like i was going to tweet a bunch of stuff and then i was like ah whatever i would think about it but to me it feels like there's a little bit of a like platform proxy war happening between google and apple and they're using the web as like the i don't know the grenade, hand grenade that they're like throwing at each other before it explodes. Like they're, they're pulling the pin and they go, ah, no, you, no, you catch it. Uh, because they're changing AMP links, but do you think they're changing Apple News links? Yeah, they're not. Yeah. Because they just want to kick you back into um, their app. Right. So that's weird. I don't know. It's fine. It's interesting. It's, um, it's, what's funny is Google always said that AMP is a, you know, it's, it's part of the web and it's, you know, it's, morally superior to Apple News or I don't know if Google's actually said that, but like the basic gist is 
hey, you know, this is a standard. Anybody can make an AMP thing that can read AMP, uh, and it's not proprietary to a single platform, and so therefore it's slightly better than an Apple News Link or a, a Facebook News Link, which I think is true. Man, if we're in a, if we're in a world where like there's a link and different platforms are going to be playing hijinks games about what happens when you take that link and try and put it someplace else. That's really scary, right? Yeah. That's that's the opposite of what the web is supposed to be. And I want to be a little bit angry at Apple for playing games with uh, with a link that Google created because it's a Google thing. Uh, but I'm also mad at Google for creating a thing that looks like the web and smells like the web, but maybe isn't really fully the web. Uh, but maybe it is, but who knows? Like, it just gets really complicated really fast. And I'll wrap it up by saying uh, 50%, 57% of users uh, use apps more than they use a web browser. 50% of all mobile use is in apps, not in a web browser. And so it's not like the web. This is, this. it's gone. It's dead. Good night. Sorry. I love you, Lynx. That was Rich Cast. I miss everybody. you. Whoa. The web is dead. You heard it here the first. The web is dead? You heard it here first and also during every previous episode of the show for the past two years. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always been, is the open web dead? Yeah. But Neil is, Dieter's saying yes. Well, here's my read on it. It's not dead. It's, it's just, you know, it's in hospice care. <laughs> See, that's yeah. different than dead. <laughs> Only mostly dead. It takes a lot of work to go from an AMP link to the canonical, canonical link. Yeah. Like, it's it's actually much harder than and you it, think. It's kind it's, of... Like, we serve a lot of AMP pages, mm -hmm. right? And our AMP URL structure is, like, our regular URL, and in the middle of it, it's slash platform slash AMP. But that's not what the Washington Post does. Like, they have a different AMP URL. And it seems structure. kind of random. Like, like, I feel like half the web pages that I end up on that are AMP, I can scroll to the top, and there's a place to get the real URL? No, that's only on Google. So if you search on Google and you get their carousel of news, like if you search uh, for like Verge Galaxy Note 8. So it's you'll only see, if I use an AMP link from Google search. Yeah. So Twitter also right. serves AMP pages. So if you're in the mobile Twitter client and you click a link, yeah. a Verge link, you'll get our AMP page. There is no facility inside of the Twitter client to get you the real URL. So like Safari right. has to be smart enough to know what the hell's going on and then also smart enough so that when you hit share – it can somehow parse out the canonical URL from the AMP URL. And that means somebody had to sit there and figure it out, which is like a lot of effort for Apple, I think. Like, it's not also, an accident. Like, they, they had to, like, engineer their way to that yeah. result. There's all this complication on what Apple is doing on iOS. Don't forget that AMP itself is also super freaking complicated. So each platform that shares AMP, either it's Google Search or Twitter, um, can do it in a slightly different way. People who make AMP pages... It doesn't necessarily – you don't have to have a canonical URL. So when you go to theverge.com, we've got our mobile page, but then it also serves an AMP version of that same thing uh, that's canonically linked back to the original. But if you want, you can just make your whole damn site out of AMP, and it's just it's just AMP, and that's just all it is. Just as a technology. So it has to – no, but like the – like. There's no like non-AMP version to share. It just is – it's just on AMP. And so it's – like Apple, I had to figure that out too. Yeah. So I don't think anyone's made an entire yeah. AMP site, though. Have they? I, I would. I know there've been experiments. Yeah. I would imagine that yeah. most AMP links are are pages that have a canonical URL in their source code that would be pretty easy to scrape out. Yeah, but it's they're all different, so it's not fixed. 
Right. I mean, when you're looking at the actual address bar, but I'm saying inside of the actual HTML of the page. Right, but I'm saying because AMP, the way AMP works and the way everyone can just make AMP however they want, Apple would have to figure it out every time. So they would have to, like, parse the URL. Like, you hit share, they grab the URL, well, they have so to read the can, page, read well, the source could, code, find the canonical URL yeah. somewhere in that right. page, which is a non-standard location. But it's tagged. One hopes. Right. It's just because of what Dieter's saying, some pages won't ever even have it because they're just the whole thing is AMP. This is the longest lightning rod discussion of Google <laughs> AMP that has ever taken place. I'm going to end on a high note, a happy note, another monster gadget note, which is that the Nikon D850 came out last night at like midnight. <laughs> 45.7 megapixels, full frame. I, like DSLRs are not like a thing anymore. But I've never wanted a camera more than I want this camera. Why this one? I like I'm a Nikon stan, like from way back. Like I've always had Nikon's. We run mm. a Canon shop. Yeah. Because like the video team uses them. Our James, our creative director, has always been a Canon guy. They share lenses, it's like a big happy party. And there's like <laughs> me with my can like Nikon glass in the corner. I like I, you know, I have an iPhone. Again, we have the eclipse, we're like screwing around in the portrait mode on the iPhone. It was like really fun. I bought my wife an Alpha fifty one hundred for her birthday. And I was, like, taking pictures with it. I was like, these are way better than my stupid cell phone photos. And then I pulled out my D7100, and I was like, these are even better. And that thing is ancient. Yeah. Like, I think there's something you said for, like, you know, you're going to add two more sensors to this camera. One's depth. One's IR. Like, you know what's great is a huge lens and a giant sensor and a mirror that flips when you push the button. See, that's the thing. I just hate that <laughs> flipping mirror. <laughs> I just hate that. No, sound. but on the on the Nikon, you can put it in a mode where it just holds the mirror up as though it were mirrorless, and it actually yeah. can get a pretty good frame rate or shoot rate at, with the mirror just up in the live view constantly. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of has some of those features. Too. Here's an idea, though: just get rid of the mirror. <laughs> has anybody ever tried to do that and made really great cameras? Mm, I wonder. Oh, fine. Get out of here. All I'm saying is this thing's a tank. All I'm saying is we're a Canon shop, but we have a f apparently a few Sony lenses, and because we, we have the A7S II here, yeah. but yeah. those Sony lenses are really popular, and they're always checked out, so I always have to use <laughs> Canon lenses with an adapter. That's true. We have a bunch of A7Ss. People love them. I love that camera, man. Video yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm like, happy for you and your Nike. I'm going to buy affections. this giant, super expensive <laughs> $3,300 Nikon tank. Yeah. We'll find you in your Sony. And I'm just going to slowly crush it with my tank. <laughs> just pound it in a submission. It's going to be great. Uh, all right. That is the Vergecast for today. Uh, I want to tease something. Ashley Carmen, who's been on the show a bunch. Caitlin Tiffany, who's been on the show a bunch. They have a new show coming out, a new podcast. We're going to start over the next couple of weeks piloting some segments. You, you'll hear them. The show, I'm, gonna t I'm not going to tell you what it's about. I'm going to tell you the name. It's called Why'd You Push That Button? I'm very excited about it. So listen for that in the coming weeks. Like beyond excited about it. There's also other podcasts you can listen to. Lauren Good hosts a great podcast called Too Embarrassed to Ask. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. All of that is on iTunes. Go check it out. Listen to it. It's wonderful. You're going to love it. We've got new podcasts coming. You can also talk to us on Twitter. Paul's at Future Paul. Dieter's at Backlon. I'm at Reckless. Verge's at Verge. By the way, our Instagram is great lately. Uh... Our social media managers are doing a great job with that. So go to at Verge on Instagram. Check that out. We're doing this new thing. Uh, Zainab, one of our social media managers, is doing flash reviews where she takes her reviews and turns them into like little Instagram gallery stories. It's neat. 
Check that out. And I think that's it. That's right. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. I need a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs>